questions and answers. The letter to the Philippian church is known as a letter of joy. There is so much in this short epistle. Do you count it all joy in every circumstance? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, we will hear our host, Pat Zucrin, as he shares a wonderful study right there in the book of Philippians, taken from chapter 1. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with part one. Turn to the book of Philippians. So for the next couple of weeks I'm with you, we'll be going through parts of the book of Philippians, okay? So turn to chapter one there, and that's where we begin. As we begin, let's pray together. Father, exhort us, encourage us through the teaching of your word this day from this wonderful letter to the church of Philippi. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians is called one of the prison epistles of Paul because Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. And some believe that when he wrote this, he was facing his final days as he was writing this letter. However, despite being in prison, Philippians is also called the letter of joy. The exhortation to rejoice or joy is found over a dozen times throughout this letter. So Philippians teaches us the principles that make for a joyful life, no matter how difficult the situations may be in your life, how difficult your marriage may be, or the issues you're having with children, or family, or personal crisis. Philippians teaches us no matter what the situation may be, joy can always be the hallmark of the Christian's life. I know and have known Christian brothers and sisters who are in some very difficult situations, but they remain some of the most joyful people that I have ever met. Okay? Now, when I say joyful, I don't mean happy. All right, Happy is an emotion. That goes up and down. Joy is not a feeling. All right, Joy is a conviction, knowing that no matter how bad things are in life, God is in control working in all situations to bring about his purpose in my life, which is always for his glory and for our good. Joy comes from knowing that through it all, God never abandons us. God never abandons his people. And that he's often working behind the scenes in ways we may not see or understand. And that we have an everlasting hope that can never be destroyed and never be taken away. And built upon that, a believer can have joy, no matter how difficult the situation may be. Now, one principle is that each person must have the right focus, all right, if you're to have that everlasting joy that God intends us to have. You've got to have the right focus individually and corporately as a body of believers in Christ. When that happens, you've got the making of a life filled with unending joy and a body of believers in Christ that is a joyful body and one that is great to be a part of. And people want to be a part of a group that's filled with the joy that comes from Christ. Now, our natural inclination, our natural inclination is to fulfill ourselves, right? To make sure my needs are met, my desires are fulfilled, my hopes and my goals are accomplished in life. However, a life focused on self leads to death. 
every time. Jesus said in the Gospels, whoever finds his life in this world lives that self-serving life that only brings death. But whoever loses his life for my sake finds life. Not only life in this world, living life for all that it was ever meant to be, but life everlasting as well. So a life focused on Christ, living for Christ, brings joy because that is how God has designed us. True joy comes in living for God, who is the source of life, who loves each one of us and seeks our best. He said, I came that you may have life and life to the fullest. All right. Now, the right focus in life brings us a life of joy. And there are three reasons for this that Paul points out in the opening chapter. First, the right focus allows us to rise above our circumstances. Happiness depends on what's going on around us. Joy can be ours no matter how difficult the situation may be. No matter how great the disappointment may be, there can still be a deep abiding joy in the life of believer. But it comes with the right focus that allows you to rise above your circumstances. Paul here is in prison. Many believe perhaps he's facing his final days. Okay? His execution may be at hand. Now, here's a man for over two decades has been faithfully serving God. And what is the result? He's thrown in prison. Now, I probably would have been sulking there in prison, saying, God, I got the wrong end of the deal. You told me to serve you. I went and served you. Now, look, I'm in prison. I'm going to die. All right? I'm being harassed by these guards and other prisoners. Come on, you know? I got the raw end of the deal. But how does Paul open his message? Here's a man filled with tremendous joy that allows him to rise above his circumstances. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, me being thrown in jail, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. Now, remember how Paul ended up in prison. He is faithfully serving the Lord, and in Acts chapter 21, if you read the story, false accusations are leveled against him by the Jewish leaders. They accuse him falsely of defiling the holy temple in Jerusalem. And then when the guards come and arrest Paul, he says, let me speak to the crowd. And in chapter 22, before he can even get to the middle of his defense, he is shouted down by the crowd. and taken off to prison, right? So he's in prison for two years in Caesarea in northern Israel, and then he's sent to Rome, where he is under house arrest here, and this is where he wrote this letter. And the intent of his enemies was to stop the spread of the gospel by slandering and destroying Paul's reputation and character. And then, if that wasn't enough, by putting him to death. That was their intent, and it looks like they were succeeding here. However, when you read this letter, Paul is not discouraged or having a pity party. I probably would have been, but he's not because he was focused on one thing, on Christ, and he saw that God had not abandoned him, that the walls of the prison doesn't keep God from working and accomplishing the mission for which God had called Paul to do. But God was continually working in his life, using Paul, even from the chains of prison, to fulfill God's mission. 
And that brought Paul unending joy. He saw that his imprisonment advanced the gospel, and that's all that mattered to him. And he says here that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, all the rest, that my imprisonment is for the sake of Christ. Hey, the imperial guards who are there to watch Paul were coming to know Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel was now reaching the upper ranks of Roman society, all right? It was not just to the common folks. Now it was reaching to the upper echelon, to the government leaders of Rome. The guards who were stationed to watch Paul there, imagine sitting with Paul 24-7, surrounding him. You're going to hear the gospel? You bet. You're going to hear some powerful arguments for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You bet. And many were coming to Christ. And eventually, Paul even stood before two governors, Festus and Felix, who came to hear the gospel. Not only that, it says the brethren are encouraged to preach Christ more boldly. You see, Paul was not focused on the circumstances around him. Instead, he was living and focused on Jesus Christ. Paul saw that God's plan was not thwarted by man's efforts or earthly roadblocks, but his purpose and focus was on Jesus Christ. I've met men and women in some very difficult circumstances, yet some of the most joyful people I have ever met. People I've really come to admire because the joy of the Lord really has never left their heart. I remember uh, one man, Benny, he was a drummer on the worship team, and he always limped around the church because he had cancer somewhere in the hip area and had a complete hip replacement. And back then, the technology was not that great. So he said, I have a cement block here in my left hip. And he'd always joke around about that. Well, during the time I was an associate pastor, the cancer had returned and this time more aggressively. And he was undergoing treatment, and you could see him. The skin tone was beginning to change color. He was beginning to lose weight. But the joy of the Lord never left him. And you could see him on the drums or on the bass guitar there on Sunday mornings in worshiping the Lord. Just a joyful, powerful testimony to the joy of Christ that was there even in those difficult times. And I remember... After one worship practice that evening, I was there at the church, and I came in to just watch them as they were finishing, and Benny could no longer walk. He had to lean against the wall to walk out of the church. So he was leaning up against the wall, and I went up to him to maybe help him out, and he looked over at me with the biggest smile on his face, and he went, pat, like that. Biggest smile on his face. The joy of the Lord never left him. I remember at that moment, I just kind of stood still in awe of what I was seeing as I watched him lean on the wall and go to his car. Just absolutely stunned at the joy that permeated throughout his life, despite the fact that he was facing a terminal disease in some very difficult times ahead, leaving two young boys soon uh, behind, soon that he knew. He died a few months later, But throughout the time in the hospital and throughout the days that I got to see him, one thing marked his life, joy. Same thing with Paul. And joy, as we learn, comes from a life focused on Christ and serving him. Life application is this. When the joy is gone from your life, you need to check, re-examine your life, and see what is the focus of your life, all right? 
wives, you're trying to find it in your husband. You know, when I've talked to many wives who said, you know, yeah, I appreciate anything I do. Guy complains about my cooking. Uh, doesn't do this. Closet door still broken. Hasn't painted the front door. Uh, he doesn't tell me I'm good looking. I'm pretty. Well, you know, I look at her and I said, that's what you're living for. If that's your primary focus. If your focus is on your husband coming home saying, honey, you look like a model. You're stunning. Oh, this food is so great. Thank you for cooking every single day. Oh, man, the door, I'll fix the door right now. Whatever you want. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to get depressed real quick. You're not serving your husband, first and foremost. You're serving who? The Lord. All right? And your efforts are what? Pleasing to the Lord. No matter what your husband may or may not say, you're serving first and foremost the Lord. And when you do so with all your heart, guess what? He says, well done. Well done. That's the voice you got to be listening to. You know, husbands, many of us try to find our esteem and worth, what, at work, right? Day in, day out, we're going to work. And many of us get discouraged when employees over there say, well, man, you can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, you're loud. You don't understand this. You're, oh, you're so incompetent, blah, 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 blah. All right? And we can either get angry, get upset, say, man, nobody appreciates me around here. Man, I go home. Kids don't greet me at home. They're busy on we or whatever. You know, as soon as I get home, wife says, fix the door. She doesn't appreciate all the hard work I put in. Blah. Well, if you're living to hear words of appreciation from your employees, if you're living to hear words of appreciation from your family members daily, okay, you're going to be a very upset individual. Right? But when you come and you're at work and your focus is, you know what, I'm serving my employees, but yeah, first and foremost, I'm serving the Lord. And I'm doing it for the Lord, no matter what anyone else may say. When I come home to serve my wife and kids, I'm first and foremost serving the Lord. No matter whether they appreciate it or not, no matter if they know how hard I'm working day in and day out and how I'm being mistreated at work, even if they don't know, God knows. And when I'm doing it with all my heart to the Lord, God says, well done. And that's all that matters. If you're listening to that voice, if that's your focus, then that is what will bring you joy, even in some very difficult times. You know, those in ministry talked with many, you know, who say, you know, every Sunday I don't get to go to service. I'm back there with the kids. Nobody says thank you. Nobody even writes me a card. Nobody mentions my name from the pulpit. Blah. Well, if that's the focus, you know, if your focus is to get praise from others or to be appreciated by others, that's great. That's great if it happens. We should appreciate those serving the Lord. But if it doesn't come, all right, you got to be focused on the Lord saying, you know what, I'm teaching these kids. I'm serving in the church. Even if nobody knows that I come here on Saturdays and I mow the lawn, even if nobody knows, God knows. And God says what? Well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm here to serve him. Okay? By serving the people, but first and foremost, I'm serving him. When that's your focus, like Paul, all right, then you can really have unending joy, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. So the right focus allows you to rise above your circumstances. Secondly, the right focus allows each one of us to rise above personal attacks. Paul says here in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in any and every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul says, some preached out of goodwill, out of motivated by a love for Christ and a love for Paul, they became more bold to preach the gospel. Others, however, were saying, ah, hey, the key player is gone. Now it's time I can make a name for myself. All right, let me step into the limelight here. And they were using Christ to promote themselves. Paul says, some preach out of envy and jealousy. Now, the Greek word there for envy and jealousy means pain felt and intention to do harm conceived at the sight of excellence and happiness in others. So when I see others being blessed, I don't feel joy for them. I feel a pain in there, and there's a desire for me to somehow tear them down. This desire is incapable of good, and it's always used, whenever it's used in the New Testament, with an evil intent and meaning. Selfish ambition there means a motive of self-interest, okay, a mercenary interest. Okay? It also means canvassing for public office, right? In other words, those who preach out of selfish ambition are out there meaning to make a name for themselves, using the name of Christ and the church to gain an audience, to gain a following, to gain praise of men, to get a following and promote themselves. Others, however, were motivated by a desire for actual revenge against Paul. Okay? So you notice here, it's not the Roman guards who are causing Paul a lot of distress, but those who claim to be Christians from within. And sometimes those can be the most hurtful kind of attacks. Now, you get to see a lot of the fun stuff I get to do on my job, and, of course, you know, and it's pr probably the greatest job that I have ever had. It's a joy to be there, and I get to do a ton of fun things. Okay? But you don't see week in, week out all the hate mail I get from people listening to the radio show saying, you've blasphemed the Lord, you know, all these kinds of things. The critics who come up, you know, after messages I speak on saying, I'm so disappointed in you. You have no idea what you're talking about. The kind of criticisms that I get. There are, I think, two anti-Pat Zucaran conferences on this island that usually follow or proceed right before and right after our conferences. There are Guys denouncing me from the pulpit as false teachers. There are people who call themselves apologists on the island who really their desire is to promote themselves by digging up dirt on other Christian leaders and putting it on the Internet. And there's a couple of people who have accused me of all kinds of heretical teachings. You know, one guy just wrote me and said, you know, I'm a universalist. I believe all religions are true and that everybody goes to heaven, and I've blasphemed the name of God, and I've blasphemed the gospel. Well, obviously, he's never read any of my articles or listened to my show. He took one sentence out of context. But anyway, that's the kind of stuff that I get. And oftentimes, I get really upset. You know, that's why I don't office at home. You know, I office at a church. That way, after reading some of those emails, I can go outside and say, hey, you know what? This guy said, uh, then after everyone listens and I calm down, then I can go back in and get to work. But that's the kind of things that Paul was facing. That's the kind of things 
many of us and those of you that serve in ministry face as well. Those attacks from those within the body can be some of the most hurtful. But the motives and schemes of men did not rob Paul of his joy in any way because the focus was not on himself, but on Christ. So even facing some very serious personal attacks, Paul could say, I rejoice. I rejoice. I remember several years ago, I was working in a Christian ministry, and the first boss, you know, Kirby, he's a great guy, and was a great mentor to me, always encouraging. He's one of the guys that really encouraged me to go into radio and develop as a speaker and eventually as an author. Fantastic president. Not that great of an administrator, but hey, that's fine. We, we all do anything for Kirby. Great guy. Well, eventually he had to step down because of his incredibly busy schedule. And the second president that followed him, for some reason, there was some personal here, and I could never do anything right. And year after year, my evaluations were absolutely horrible. I mean, the kind of things he was writing up, constantly reminding me, you have no future as a speaker. You have no future as a writer. You have no future on radio. You're horrible at this. You mistreat staff. You abuse staff. You do this. You do that. You have no integrity. You're on and on and on and on and on. Publicly humiliating me every opportunity he had. If there was a meeting and I asked a question, it was always because I don't pay attention. I'm a, you know, ignorant, uh, accusing me of all kind of nasty stuff. And I remember sitting in Kirby's office going, hey, what's the deal? You know, and Kirby will say, hey, Pat, we love you. Hang in there. And you've got a tremendous calling from God. I see great things going for you. You hang in there. And I remember going to the coffee shop and meeting with my advisory team and just being so uh, upset at the last evaluation that I got filled with false accusations of horrific, horrific, horrific things that I was doing. I should be thrown in jail or something, you know? And I just sat there and I said, this guy's got something personal and ah, and I can't stand this guy. I want to lock him up in a room and give him a, you know, give him the choke, you know, and bring, trick him into the karate gym and, you know, ah, all these things I wanted to do to him. And the guy sat there and let me vent. And finally, when I was done, they said, gave some very wise words. You know, they said, Pat, you're not serving him. You're serving the Lord. And no matter what he may say, if you're doing God's will, focus on the Lord. All right? And they often had to remind me of that. They said, when you're serving there, you're not serving him first and foremost. You're serving the Lord. So through serving him, no matter how critical and negative he may be, remember, you're ultimately serving the Lord who called you to be there. And that made things even in that difficult, difficult situation, allowed me to have joy knowing that first and foremost, I was serving the Lord and that the mission God had called us to was being accomplished. Okay? No matter how critical or how negative uh, our new boss may be or how much he wanted to sabotage the work some of us were doing, okay? as long as we're doing it for the Lord, God continues to work. God continues to move, and to watch his hand work is such an exciting thing. When you're focused on men and their response to you, oh, it gets depressing. When you focus on the Lord and the things that he is doing, 
there can be joy even in the midst of a tough situation. And that's where Paul found himself. Though he was in jail, though there were others who called themselves Christians with false motives to gain an advantage of him and seek revenge in his helpless position, it didn't phase the guy because his focus was on the Lord. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence.